0: Have you seen? Have you seen what's going on on the internet right now? It's insane. Okay, maybe it was always insane, and we're just like catching up to it and starting to realize it. But I mean, the big news, obviously, everyone's talking about it. Tucker Carlson gets fired by Fox News. But does this surprise us anymore? I, 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 I have to admit, I'm, I'm actually. Just it a teensy bit nervous, by you, it, because it's like as long as Tucker was there, we had this one little toehold in the mainstream conversation. Where you're thinking, maybe one day they'll hear us, maybe one day they'll be listening to us. And I, 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 I have to tell you, I'm, 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 I'm a bit shook up, right? So it's like, how much longer do we have to keep going until somebody hears us? I feel like we're in so. Like, the, there's Horton with his his little dandelion, and we're going. We're here. We're here. We're here. Anyway, I have it on, you know, finger, pinky, cross my heart, and she'll she'll show up. My pigeon will be here, but I have to go find her. So come with me tonight, and we'll find the pigeon, and we'll figure out what's going on with the internet, and who knows where we're going tonight. Welcome to the Mosaic Arc Do you guys have any idea how hard this is going solo? I, well, Okay, maybe everybody else who streams on <laughs> it, not their eyes, does. But I, I need my pigeon. I hope she shows up soon. Anyway, carrying on with our meditations from last week about the power of the microphone and the power of the amplification of the voice and so forth. It's still very interesting, of course, when we have well someone someone like tucker carlson who you would think has enough market value as as they say in in these situations to resist being fired by his bosses at at fox but of course he doesn't which is a little sobering because it means like if if someone who commands the largest you know mainstream audience out there on cable news moments and such isn't big enough to stand up against oh let's be blunt the advertisers um you do want you do wonder what hope us 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 little ones have now um i've also got some thoughts that i think are worth exploring tonight Uh, carrying on from saron is mike and in my in my tolkien class we're talking now about evil, right? And what evil is and exactly how we can understand how people get caught up in it. And I think I think these two streams are are crossing in a way, right? Because there's the media moment problem of our let's say why are they afraid why is I, I'd say the advertisers. I think it's the advertisers because, as we've known ever since there was advertising-supported media, the advertisers were always the ones that got to say what came on the show, right? That's like we've been worrying about making the soap companies happy since you know the soap operas <laughs> were running back in the who knows what fifties or sixties, and the washing powder was always the thing that was the big supporter of those those shows. And you know, you do, you don't want to you don't want to make the advertisers mad because they're the ones making the content for everyone out there free, which is of course not really free because it's supported by people needing clean clothes. I don't know. It's, it's supported by this. um, Well, what is it supported by if we're thinking thinking about advertising? Maybe that's where I want to sail around. I'm going to, I'm just going to sort of sail around and by myself here for a bit and think about it. Okay. So, so, I have a, a little storybook that my mom gave me back ages and ages ago. She thought it was hilarious because I liked guinea pigs and there was this guinea pig story in the in the in the collection. The, the book was called Pigs as Pigs and one of the stories was about how this this um pair of guinea pigs shows up at the post office. This is like 1900 or so. And um, when the man comes to pick up his guinea pigs, the post office clerk says, you know, you owe some more money because these are livestock or something like that. And because they're pigs and the man coming to pick up these, these guinea pigs says, no, they're not. They're, they're guinea pigs. And he's like, no pigs is pigs. And of course, you know, the hilarity ensues over the course of the story because the pigs keep making more pigs and (laughs) eventually, but the post office guy can't get rid of them. So he has, you know, crates and crates. And the, the pictures become very funny of, how many guinea pigs he has well anyway my mom gave me this from I think her parents had had it it's an it's an older collection of stories um, because I had guinea pigs all through college and and into grad school and in fact you know into uh, I brought my my last guinea pig here with me to Chicago came came back over the seas with I spent a lot of money on those guinea pigs just like in the post office well anyway I don't remember. I'd have to Google, look down at my iPad and Google and figure out who the author of these stories was. But in the same collection, and and mind you, this is like 1900s. So, somebody can can look it up. Tucker is right, too. The woke movement isn't driven by money. It's a spiritual issue. Well, we'll get there. Let me dither on about pigs as pigs first. And then, and then you know, the audience will build up a, a head of steam and, and attention and tell me how we are actually in a spiritual world, which we are. Tucker is totally right about that. But the problem is, the sort of funding, advertising, funding of our entertainment goes back to the early twentieth century. I mean, it's like there's. Last time I was, in effect, talking about the power of propaganda and the problem with radio and how the the voice in the medium creates a particular surround sound reality, but. In Pigs is Pigs, there's a story about a theater play, right? It's not even, it's not a movie. It's not, it's not even a radio play. It's not on television. It's a, it's a play in a theater, right? Like with live actors and everything. And the joke in that one is that the advertisers want all their products placed in the play, right? This is like live on stage in the story and the characters in the story, because they're, you know, having to promote whatever advertisements are supporting their their theater production have to consume the products <laughs> and, and um i think some of them are like i'm making this up because i can't quite remember it Maybe be soft drinks and stuff that that you know they have to eat a lot of cereal <laughs> because the cereal advertise you know the cereal producers want their cereal made prominently and so you know this whole play ends up turning into one long advertisement for the, the sponsors so it's not a new problem <laughs> um and that, you know, sort of, I maybe this is a, you know, it's sort of twinning. I, I have the title for this stream as being The Internet Eats Its Own based off of a, a manuscript image that I have. I, I advertised tonight's stream with it, and I'm going to use it in the cover and, and such. Like, those of you who don't like listening to me ramble on and on and on while I'm waiting for my pigeon to show up with more stories can take the entire sense of this episode from this this picture, which is the hell mouth. And there are like three of them. they are multiple hell mouths eating the seven-headed dragon of the apocalypse. It's from this Anglo-Norman 14th century um, commentary on the revelation, which I just saw a facsimile um, advertised for. And it's like, maybe I was onto something better than I realized. The internet is eating all of those of us who participated in it. And we recognize this. I mean, insofar as we are, you know, sort of streaming into it and talking to you all and sending our energy through my Sauron ring of, of attention into the Internet, we're, we're feeling ourselves being captured spiritually. But the, the, you know, the continuing capture is always this. If you if you want your audience boosted, you pay advertisers whom products you are also boost. It's like this, this, this. This sort of spiraling not it not really a mutual support community of, of but but obviously if the medium is the message and one of the things that that McLuhan you know thought about a lot in his mechanical bride was the way in which all of these advertisements are themselves the main symb- symbology that we are living with and you know his meditations on advertisements for radios and stockings and 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 also the way in which these advertisements are often juxtaposed with the actual news items and i mean certainly i remember back when i actually read newspapers you, know, you can have the the you know the horror of the of the week next to the clothing ad or something and now i mean how how if you haven't paid you know subscriptions to the sites and you don't have your ad blockers on the juxtapositions that we get in our online, you know, reading are, are, are quite stark. So this, this feeling of being eaten by the advertisements and Tucker having to answer to, I, I think it's, you know, it's gotta be the advertisers in in some way because they're the source of the support for the, for the media. Right. So that's our theme for tonight: This, this internet eats it, uh, it eats its, eats its own. Um, we have I have my 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 team here to to help carry on in this conversation. So Mel and Casey, welcome. <laughs> um, and K- well, Casey saying, yeah. So, so in thinking about um, you know canceling Tucker, they aren't doing this for money. Well, th- I think they still are, but the sort of sense of what counts as money in what context and who's getting money from where and whose money, right? That the, it, it, they're they're certainly not necessarily doing it for. You know the happiness of the audience, or the—I mean, what we're going to get to is—you know—Tucker's very um, powerful statement about what happens when you start telling the truth. Maybe we need to think about what money is. Um, we haven't actually done any streams on that, and the—the the problem of you know currency and current that we're participating in here, sending our our, our thoughts into the currents of the the interstreams that are. Sh- arc is sailing along we sort of exactly what is the energy driving all of this and i'm not sure the money or currency is is tricky casey is saying they don't care that tucker brought the viewers in revenue there was mischief to be made well but see this is the problem the revenue doesn't come from us watching necessarily i mean it's like i guess so it's, you know maybe maybe we play off this i've been i have i have some books about advertising that i've been meaning to read and um i mean one one of the things i and I, now i can't remember whether i've i've rambled about this before but of course dorothy sayers whom i do talk about regularly i recognize but one of her, my favorite of her novels is murder must advertise and what is i do feel like i've talked about this but i'll remind you all um that what's interesting about it is in in that story Lord Peter has to go pretend to be a, a wage laborer. He has to go work, you know, and he sets himself up to work in the advertising agency, which is, of course, a you know, humorous on Sayers' part because she actually was a copywriter in an advertising agency for like a decade. Um, and so, you know, it's like I, I like it because I recognize that I'm reading an account of someone's experience of what it was probably, obviously dressed up a bit and such, but, you know, obvi- what it was actually like Working in that kind of environment in the office and um, the sort of banter that the copywriters have with the artists and and so forth anyway, so Lord Peter is working in this advertising agency, and um, the the main sort of one of the main accounts that the advertising agency has is hmm. Well, it, it's Nutrax for nerves, right? So it's a nerve tonic, which is basically drugs, right? So it's some kind of—we're never told what exactly it is. It's just, you know they—they they make ads that you know talk about how Nutrex gives you vitality and so forth. Which who knows? You know, Coca-Cola, right? It's it's some kind of stimulant. And then the 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 problem of the mystery is that the there's. That advertising agency the the agency in the story is somehow being used as the distribution hub for an actual cocaine trade but this is like said in the twenties it's you know she wrote published it in nineteen thirty three so you know the dope trade is also coterminous with the advertising world and uh, the you know the 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 solution to it you guys you can read it i've reread it a gazillion times so even if i tell you how this what the solution is i don't have to tell you who's doing it but that they um they're using the ads that go in each week to trigger where the distribution of the packages of of cocaine are going to go to and it's you know marking it so that they show up in particular pubs based on when the phone book is and and stuff like that. So there's layers and layers of advertising and drugs in this in this setup and the 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 sort of um thoughtful puzzle that or thoughtful twinning that sayers is recognizing here is the legitimate advertisements for new tracks are drug advertisements, and those advertisements are being used to trigger the distribution of the illegal drugs. So there's the legal drugs and the illegal drugs, and both of them are advertising through this same um, system, which suggests everything you need to know about how captured the media has been since, you know, since there was media, since since there was, you know, newspaper ads that you could, um, you know, pay for and take up a certain amount of space in the page and then write. So th- there's the I, I started on that because we're thinking about the revenue, the viewers and revenue. I mean, that you you sell advertising in spaces like that, either in physical spaces on the pages or in temporal spaces like, you know, whatever ads go with Fox News I never watched. I only ever watched the clips on YouTube. I guess I I see those ads that YouTube, you know, puts on the front of videos now and such. So, you know, that carries the ads. But they sell those with the promise that, you know, lots of people will see this ad. And presumably that's there for revenue for the the company. Um, And yet they don't seem to care that, the people that actually bring in lots of eyeballs to see the ads potentially are going to not care anymore <laughs> if if Carlson goes and, and makes um, news reports somewhere else. You know, I don't know enough about how all of the finance works. Vox has talked a fair amount about how so many of these startups and so forth are propped up. By investor money, it, we, you know they're gambling with the, you know, the idea that if we put in enough money to this and launch it out, and it gets big enough, then you know it becomes self-sustaining because there will be enough people watching that advertisers will want to pay us to send their advertisements out to our audiences and so forth. Um Now this is, you know, it's like I've always thought about sayers and that that problem of how it's all a drug trade anyway. Because the you know the health pills and vitamins and cereals cereal was of course also a, a kind of health food initially before it became completely sugar, um, but I haven't I, I the the one of the things I I have heard of is that it, it's actually pretty hard to get people to buy stuff you know the the main thing that people do is follow the brand so you, you have to create brand loyalty and then keep people buying off of that. And the thing about the thing about brand loyalty is, I mean, what we're seeing, for example, with Bud Light. Um, if you lose it, then you've lost that segment. I mean, the the, the products are all obviously very very similar. <laughs> Girardi and Twinning um, strikes again. So um, keeping. Keeping your customers loyal to your brand of things is everything, right? And I, you know, I think we, we do that in academia too. We have, you know, certain brands of institutions. I, I like pointing out the fact that again, another early twentieth century phenomenon. So we have now, let's see, early twentieth century phenomena, um, the 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 effect of the mass media, the effect of advertising, <laughs> the prominence of, you know alter alt, altering substance mind and mood altering and health altering substances um and also this this sort of brand brand construction that in uh, in american higher education the main brand construction was the late 20th century was all uh, medieval it was medievalisms right all this collegiate gothic branding of here we have you know now what a uh, you know a, a school looks like. It's going, to, it's going to look gothic, it's going to look um, Oxford-like and um, you will want to come study here because of this aesthetic that we have created by way of our buildings. Now I very much enjoy being in the buildings that I am in at the University of Chicago but recognize that back in you know the t- t- 19, 1900 when they start building most of the buildings it's around 1900 or so because they a lot of them have foundation stones at 1920 or thereabouts. They consciously chose uh, an aesthetic to brand us with as a school. So, I mean that that that's a it, it is modernity. We've now into currency, advertising, branding, drugs. The I have I named the seven headed seven heads of the dragon, right. Um, Casey's saying, Tucker was right, too. The woke movement isn't driven by money. It's a spiritual issue. Well, now, now you know, to get to really the the spiritual matter of what we're dealing with, one of the things we've been talking about a lot on the Mosaic Arc is how being in the Internet is changing things, you know, how we're able to do this Um in time how you know it can be different um effects of being in the um light world right we're we're sailing in the light world here we're looking into the light and we're sailing along the the cables i saw a map this morning it's like the we're trying to make some cables from japan to europe i think that bypass russia so but these have to be laid in the arctic and presumably, therefore, under the sea. So, wherever you are, I'm traveling to you by way of buried light, <laughs> or maybe submerged light. To say, I'm sailing around on the internet, and the the, the 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 transmissions of this conversation are traveling underground and underwater. Um, thinking about what that means, right? And I had I had priming myself this morning. If you follow my telegram, which you should because I I post there much more regularly than I post anywhere else. And so it's sort of like the 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 running stream of my attention is in my telegram channel. And um I saw I saw two things this morning that I thought were uh topical. One is um Paul Kingsnorth's Substack. Uh he has a multi part meditation that he's working on about he say four questions concerning the internet. This was part two. Um, and he's he's thinking very much in these um these McLuhan level terms about the spiritual effects of being in the internet. Um I'm I'm thinking primarily about the the episode that he just posted this morning where he, he starts off it's um the neon god Um, And he starts off with a uh, meditation on how he was at Mount Athos recently and was horrified when he saw one of the monks pull a cell phone out of his pocket and was thinking, even here, even here on the the holy mountain of Orthodoxy, the monks are tapped into this internet network through their, their, as he calls them, black mirrors. And um what is this going to do to us spiritually now it's he's saying that malianthos they mainly just had cars and and cell phones and no women but (laughs) um other places and kings north talks specifically about um these these robo robo priests in japan that are doing funerals the buddhist funerals and um uh there's a, a monk, uh, there's a, there's in Buddhist Japan, they don't just have smartphone monks, they have robot priests, Mindar, pictured below, and this is a robo priest which has been working at a temple in Kyoto for the last few years, reciting Buddhist sutras with which it has been programmed. The next step, says monk Tensho Goto, is an excitable champion, an excitable champion of the digital dharma is to fit it with an AI system so it can have real conversations and offer spiritual advice. I mean, this is horrifying that to think. And, and then, it, but then, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, well, Casey's saying, I hate the idea of a digital rosary. It gets worse. He says there's a Catholic church in Warsaw. It it's Santo S A N capital T O an AI robot, which looks like a statue of a saint and is designed to help people pray by offering Bible quotes in response to questions. Not to be outdone, I'm still reading King's North here. A Protestant church in Germany has developed a robot called I Kid You Not Bless You Two. <laughs> Bless You Two, which looks like a character designed by Ardman Animation. So look yeah, like that. Can forgive your sins in five different languages. Which must be handy, he says, if they're too embarrassing to confess to a human. Now, this is terrifying. It's saying that not just they're the substitution of the human in in these ai things now part of me thought you know and and kings north is thinking about this too it's like one version of things is well we're still you know these are tools we still make tools we're simply working with our tools and you know if if i for example you know instead of having the robot remind me of a spiritual verse look one up We'll we'll do Psalm 126. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord keep the city, he watcheth in vain that keepeth. It is vain for you to rise before light. Rise ye after you have sitten, you that eat the bread of sorrow. When he shall give sleep to his beloved, behold the inheritance of the Lord, our children, the reward, the fruit of the womb. As arrows in the hands of the mighty, so the children of them that have been shaken. Blessed is the man that have filled the desire with them; he shall not be confounded when he shall speak to his enemies in the gate. Now, okay, so the, the, one of the gradual psalms, nisi Dominus, I could not do that from memory because I don't have these memorized, which is probably bad. Um, books already, as you know, famously Plato pointed out, um, diminish our in, our cognitive training in certain respects and then amplify it greatly in others. If you have a full library of books, it's probably more than you could ever memorize. And so if you have them on your shelves, behind, you know, not behind me in my my studio here, but if you have shelves and shelves and shelves of books and you can take one down and you can read it, is that significantly different than going to the robot and saying, give me a verse? Yeah, this is Futurama-level stuff. Haha, ha, forgive me, priest bot, for I have sinned. Well, indeed, right? And so this is, um, you know, that King's North is actually quite terrified of all of this, saying, you know, on and on it goes, and and this is a problem. Um, he says, part one of this essay offered up the suggestion that the global digital infrastructure we are building looks unnervingly like the body of some manifesting intelligence, that we neither understand nor control. I suggested that if we view the digital revolution in spiritual rather than materialist terms, we'll have a better chance of seeing it for what it is. See the internet as the inevitable result of eating the fruit of of the knowledge of good and evil rather than the fruit of the tree of life. See technological progress as a result of choosing information over communion. And the story that emerges is the Faust-like summoning of something we are not nearly big enough to be playing with. Um, and he does in that first episode of his of his meditation get pretty scary I mean it's like the 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 people working in this tech who are starting to get nervous um i mean i instantly when i heard i heard John Cormack speaking at BaseCon last summer and he's saying, oh, no, they're just like, you know, little toddler slaves. And I'm like, wait a minute. He didn't use the word slaves, but he did kept saying they're, they're, you know, AI is, you know, has the intelligence of a toddler. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, my dog does too. And that, at what point are you going to get worried about the the way the, the tech is responding to you? Um, hello. I, oh, look at this. She's here. Shall I bring her on? Are you ready to come on? Okay. I well, you're not in yet. I'm just talking to you, and and they they're assuming that I'm not talking to some AI bot that I'm inventing. Okay, I'm. You're coming in. Are you ready? Okay. There you go. Welcome. Look at that. You made it. <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm terrifying them all with stories of the spiritual battle that we're in by way of the internet. You ready?
1: Oh, God. Yeah. Let's <laughs> scary ghost stories of the internet. <laughs> we're
0: here. Look how I'm much ready. better it is when I've got my pigeon. Oh my gosh. It's, I do not like talking to myself in, in, in the, in the audio realm. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I, I have been, I've been thinking about the problem of advertising and Tucker Carlson getting canceled. Um, which is probably uh, yes. probably because of the advertising because why is you know that would be the reason because that's the way you know media has been funded as I as mm-hmm. I pointed out since like the beginning right since since there was media and advertisements at least for, since the beginning of the 20th century um yes. so I think there's there's probably a spiritual problem in that um, but now I've gotten us to the point where I was diving into because Carlson says, and I haven't read this out yet, but it it's 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 actually significant to this this problem that what what's going on we're definitely in a spiritual something right and um he, yes. he said quite explicitly that this this you know the problem of good and evil and why don't we pray and that's been one of the reasons that people say he was cancelled right so that's where I was aiming, <laughs> but by way of this Paul Kingsnorth um uh, meditation on the the terror of the internet as a spiritual um, situation, um, and particularly mm-hmm. whether or not the um, it's like are we imagining the AI that's coming out being obviously I mean he he sometimes says it overtly demonic right that we're 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 sort of making portals to demons or I mean there is there is a place where it's simply um, you know he says. Uh, you know, we've we've done all of this before. It can be the internet is not alive. The internet is simply us, potentially, right? What we're dealing with here is a computing problem which needs to be sensibly managed. We just need some smart rules, perhaps the equivalent of a non-proliferation treaty and some globally agreed test bans. Blah. (laughs) We've done it before and we can do it again. Okay, and then this is, if this is true, then the digital hive mind we have already built is simply, simply, a hugely complex, globalized neural net made of collective human experience built upon a digital infrastructure created by the U.S. military. I mean, that should terrify us just to start with, but keep going. Which is already being used to spy on the world's population, harvest its data, manipulate its preferences from politics to shopping, control its movements, alter the material substrate of the human brain, and build up an unprecedentedly powerful alliance of states, media organizations, tech companies, and global NGOs with an agenda to promote. It is also the basis of a newly emergent technology, AI, which will, at minimum, be responsible for mass unemployment, fakery on an unprecedented scale, and the breakdown of a shared notions of reality. I submit that this option is only slightly more reassuring. <laughs> I I haven't really watched King's North. I mainly read him, but I I, I, we're doomed. I they were doomed, right? The sort of the, the, yeah. that's a pretty yeah. funny and terrifying. You know prospect and the, i was reading that this morning and then thinking what carlson has like dropped himself into by way mm-hmm. of as we are doing in our little way here with our tiny audience participating in this and knowing therefore that the internet is definitely paying attention but then it's paying attention to everything we do um you know from mm-hmm. it's like if if, if we're worried about advertisers you know it's like every time we we click on anything, you know, how many ads do you get? Well, depends on which social media platforms you're on. Right. But you know, the number of stuff I, the ads I get through Facebook when all I did was search for shoes.
1: right?
0: Yes. Right. I get, I get a lot of
1: really odd requests from goth pages on various social media platforms. (laughs) The algorithms, they know what I like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you can't hide. I mean, the, just being just being outside of the analog now means that we're we're in it there's no like we're completely connected to it through commercial exchange there's no way of regulating it anymore uh you know your banking your banking behaviors are tracked the way that you're using your cards when you're out unless you're using cash everything is tracked um I mean, I don't really think privacy exists anymore to a degree, yeah uh, yeah, so I mean what we what we're doing is we've consciously decided to participate in it without the illusion of privacy, and you've had a very public interaction with the the digital world for a long time, but um. You know the decision the decision to dox yourself and to release the illusion of anani- you know the last little illusion of anonymity that you have on the internet uh i mean i was quite nervous to do it in the beginning and then i thought well really it is just the illusion of anonymity because uh, I'm, I'm already out participating in everything anyway so yeah it's, it's it's just varying degrees of um Attention that makes the difference. So we have a smaller audience, and then other people have a larger
0: audience. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because the recent Carlson is now in trouble, as it were. Although he seems to be quite cheerful, and you know, was tooling around his little golf cart and stuff with his <clears throat> with his wife. I mean, but they, even that, it's like he has you know zero privacy in that sense. It's like as soon as he's outside, the people are all watching him. In his, his yeah, you know, relative to royalty, not much celebrity, but relative to the rest of us, quite a lot of celebrity.
1: Um I mm. I forgot what I was thinking. Uh there people people are living in public now. Everybody's living in right. public. Before it was, it was it was royalty, it was celebrity, you know, public people of note. But really because of the technology that we're using, we're all fundamentally living the lives of celebrities in the sense that we're all living in public to one degree or another.
0: Well, and this okay, so this is I was thinking with Carlson, what happened to him? Yeah. Is you know he got too big, as it were. I mean, it's like the, there's there's mm. what I was talking about last week with the Saron's mic and the worry about the radio and and such like that. That there's this this weird kind of yeah. It's like what you're saying. Everybody's a celebrity now. I mean, the Andy Warhol you yeah know, 15, is it Warhol fifteen minutes of fame. It's like whatever kind of fame we get, everybody wants it. You want that video to go viral, and suddenly every all of the world's attention is on you for that that brief amount of time. Um, But on the other hand, there's this, you know, constant, oh, well, you know, Carlson is dangerous. AOC is saying that, right? Carlson is dangerous because he has such a big audience. And the, I mean, what I was, I was thinking about that with the, the, the microphone question of. I mean, people simply being terrified of the fact of there being these giant audiences. And then sort of what, what do you do with that Mm -hmm. when, you're speaking, how many people are listening to you? What What is it that we're afraid is happening when so many people are paying attention?
1: Mm. That's a really good question. because These audiences aren't physical audiences anymore. It, it's not uh, mm. being on stage in an auditorium with a physical audience that you're present with and can measure. I mean, it's a very strange feeling. I mean, at the moment, we have a very small audience, but- it's great, um, but regardless of how many people are watching the Mosaic Arc, we could have 100 people or we could have 100,000. You and I are still just talking into the um, into the camera. We're not right. standing with the crowd anymore. It's almost the uh, – it, it, it's transformed the – the experience of this mob attention from being physical and present and so kind of uh, predictable to phantasmagoric and it's a it's a it's it's like having a ghost mob that's out there mm-hmm. somewhere that you can't really see and you can't measure good because it's immeasurable i think it's terrifying well what's funny is I was actually thinking of the other direction but you're right.
0: And so there is there is our problem of I, I've actually got a, a a single person trying to phone me right now who should know that I'm on on I'm on live right now. Um that that you know there's the effect of being the one be, pay, being paid attention to and that I I you know once or twice been in a situation where it's was actually in a television studio um and all you have is the camera that you look at and I guess, you know, a variety of tech people that are watching you and such. I was was never in a situation where there was more than two tech guys, right? So (laughs) that's it, right? You've got a small room of people and you're talking to a, you know, a a dot and that is allegedly going out to, you know, millions. It's like, at at what point do you have any sort of understanding of what that means? Because if you're not in a studio, in a stadium... There's not a physical presence of them, but but what I was actually thinking was the other that people are afraid of the audience that is somehow watching in in this in this remote capacity, and that you know so Mm. that those who are now you know celebrating the fact that Carlson's off Fox at least are saying that's great because he was dangerous because there were so many people listening to them, but as you're saying, it's correct. It's like we have no sense of what that even means i mean whether you have 10 people in your audience or 10,000 or a, a million or 10 million i mean the 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 absolute biggest audiences in the world are nowhere in the west i mean this <laughs> this this i realized yeah. once i got i went you know so i had a brief moment watching some bollywood movies and you know you're looking up the the stars in those productions and they're like dwarfing Tom Cruise numbers of you know fans and yeah. followers it's like the, the, if you want sheer numbers of people one of my colleagues in my in my own department at, uh, at Chicago writes um, in Chinese history modern Chinese history and he says you know when they translate his books into Chinese he sells more copies than you can even dream of, <laughs> of pretending to sell yep. As an absolute bestseller in an English-speaking audience, it's ironic because we're not even like aware of the 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 sheer numbers in other um, networks networks of audiences. And so, yes, so within this tiny little English-speaking world, we've suddenly (laughs) lost someone who had you know a million, three million, three million a night. Oh, right, you know, and that's like that's it, it's it's a lot absolutely but it's nothing in terms of well is it right how many people i guess maybe this is the next the next sort of level how many people does it take to sway a conversation and it's actually mm. it's actually very yes. few they're right it's 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 very few to change a lot of people's minds but on the other hand and i was i was thinking about this earlier before you before you jumped on um my sort of long the, the other okay so this I've got 18 thoughts about Carlson, but one of them was, I just, I suddenly felt very, very sad. It's like, how hard is it to change people's minds to get them to, I mean, from Mm -hmm. my own perspective, it's like, you know, you, you know, I keep getting in trouble because I go look, right. It's quite literally my job, checks jobs description, to question the narrative. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm trained. (laughs) <laughs> professionally trained, even more than Tucker Carlson, right? And what in yeah. the fancy world we call historiography, in the ordinary world we call questioning the narrative, right? And all you, yeah. all you know from, you know, historiography, it's the, you know, accumulated questioning of the narrative that has gone on in a particular field about a particular, que- you know, que- narrative, right? So I'm literally mm. re- required by my own profession, to question the narrative. And when I do it, I get told that either I'm not doing my job, I'm abusing my platform, I'm, you know, how dare you, you have tenure, what are you doing questioning the narrative? Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's my job. Okay, so that's one part of it. And then I go and I look, and then I think, wow, not the narrative I've heard. If I speak this out loud, I'll be fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, what? It's like... How hard is this? Why is it so hard to, to question? you know, it's like I mean it's one, why is it so hard to question the narrative? Carlson was doing it with a degree of courage because questioning oh. one version of one narrative, you lose your job. And mm-hmm. yet a lot of people, you know, he's considered frightening because a lot of people actually were encouraged by the questions that he was asking.
1: I'm having a swig of water and I'm going to think about it. It's a, it kind of, it, it links back to the, the fan fiction, you know, the rolling wheels of fan fiction conversation that we had with the uh, laying out a historical narrative. Um, and market pressure which, I mean, there, there, were, there was obviously the advertiser risk for uh, Fox, you know, they're worried they're going to lose numbers because their advertisers aren't happy about what Tucker was talking about. But hmm, there's, a, there's a huge contradiction at the moment. With I think having these um, enshrined cultural positions, for example, in academia, uh, where you are working as a scholar, working on um, studying history, start, start studying the creation of history because history is the you know the creation of narratives by various people as it's happening doing all of this, I think a lot of people are still operating in a framework which assumes everything is individuals, instead of realizing that what we're actually doing is um, confusing individuals influencing a narrative and corporations influencing a narrative. because the market pressures that are happening now are not market pressures from individuals that are trading one-on-one with each other. We're dealing with corporatized markets that are you know, incredibly powerful. The advertising world is all about creating desire and shaping that into uh, profit and in order to create a desire, they have to create a narrative. So we're kind of battling uh industrial desire factory with uh, you know this need to have institutions which can guarantee that we are in fact. Uh, able to know what is truth and what is really happening uh, in current events in history. People are not comfortable discussing the difference between those two things and how one is influencing the other and how this uh, industrialised uh, avarice, you know, this advertises um need to create desire is overriding our other need as cultures and as, as people to, to be able to hear facts, to be able to keep track with reality. Um, yeah. So, you know, you're getting in trouble for things, which is very funny, (laughs) you know, you're getting in trouble for doing your job your job only because other people's jobs is to manipulate narratives and to make sure that people are desiring products that are uh you know in their it's in their best interests to keep this going. So they don't care. They don't care if everyone is actually doing what they're trained to do and paid to do.
0: This is good. This is no so it's it's what Carlson's gotten in trouble for too <laughs> because mm-hmm. I mean, no. he's it, at least you know. I did. I, everybody has multiple layers of of story, and one of the, one of them is his CIA connections in his background, right? I think his dad had mm-hmm. some connections there. So you know, he did. It, like the, 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 the there's no simple side here. But since I've been paying attention to to him, and I did read his little book, "The Ship of Fools," which is our our ship metaphor, right? I've liked what he's been saying, mm-hmm. and like that he's he's actually challenge some of the things that yes the the advertisers don't want people questioning or or saying but he you know he's pointed out in the last few days or in you know maybe at that heritage talk that his job is to ask questions too right that that's su- supposedly yes. what journalism was supposed to be doing is you know going and considering what is the truth and i think what you what you've done just now and it's helped me because i was sort of rambling on about advertising it's so like no it's you're right it's We've got conflicting narratives, and one is—I
1: mm-hmm.
0: mean—is I don't know if advertising is fundamentally lying because you're not supposed to lie about the thing that you're selling, um, mm-hmm. but you are craft. I mean, it's like that's so that—that's very smart of you. That—that that, that's what Dorothy. I talked about Dorothy Sayers too. That she she has some wonderful passages in Murder Must Advertise how. The advertising copyists create these. First, they create these peop- these characters that don't really ever exist. The the busy housewife and the dutiful father yes. and the you know charging businessman. It's like they they work in these kind of archetype characters that then yes. um, you know marketing always is wanting you to project yourself into one of those archetype characters, which is why marketing ends up so worried about you know representing the full population because they want to get every kind of character that people might possibly put themselves into. And then Sayers goes on It's like the, the the advertisers ask you these intimate questions that, you know, your best friends wouldn't ask you like, are you worried about body odor? (laughs) Or, you know, like the the kind of ads you see with news reports now on the internet, it's always like your Mm -hmm. feet fungus. Right. And they're as gross as they possibly can be to get you to, you know, either run away or click. I'm not sure which. Right. So they're, they're stock characters with intimate questions and then crafted into these they're not even fairy tales because they're not parables they're not trying to teach you anything they're as you were saying trying to capture your desire to be part of that little vignette of a story yes I think we've cracked it wow that's pretty good because <laughs> <laughs> of course hist- it's,
1: it's history its like- history
0: doesn't want to be this right it doesn't it, it, it needs to be um you know, actual individuals making real decisions under, you know, complicated circumstances. And there's not simple, you know, this side and that side choices. Typically there's multiplicity of none of that, right? We need stock characters, embarrassingly intimate questions and, you know, straightforward arcs of, you know, you have a problem, we now solve it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 uh it's interesting the way that they're leading with those kinds of questions too, you know. Uh, do you need more fibre in your diet? It's like, oh, I didn't think I did until you asked me this. Why? What's going to happen to me if I don't, right. <laughs> if I don't have it? Um, uh, but this, this is market pressure. It's, it's market pressure which is done through, um, you know, uh, behaviorists' techniques, you know, psychological kind of behaviourism, um Edward Bernays wrote a book about it called propaganda where he said I think it was, I forget what date it was it was like back in the 20s or something and he basically said that the the market is driven by people which are able to manipulate people's desires that people actually don't know what they want they're told what they want the the um, mimetic rivalry is activated in the market so that people begin to think oh I need this mm-hmm. because everybody has it or I desire this Well, really, do you, or is it that you're being told that everybody around you desires this thing, and therefore you have to uh, engage in the uh, in the mimetic rivalry? And so, with individuals, this is less complicated. But when you have corporations, massive leviathans of 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 the of the of the um of the trade world, which are activating the mimetic desire in the marketplace to try and get everybody to buy products and to, you know, monopolise certain markets, uh, it's not in their best interests to have everybody wanting truth over mimetic desire. They want, I mean, this, uh, it's a a kind of um, psychopathy, but companies don't run with the... the spiritual techniques to overcome human envy and covetousness, they rely on it. So because they're soulless, they're companies, they're corporations, they're corpses, they can engage in this uh, without remorse because a dead thing can't have remorse for dangling envy in front of the the market to try to monopolise it there's a there's a massive conflict between what corporate giants want and what human beings need in order to function coherently and sanely through uh, historical crisis. I think this is why Tucker's in trouble and I think it's why you keep getting in trouble especially because you're trying to do what you do um, the narrative that people are building now is no longer anchored in their actual experience because they're losing track of what is happening to them and what they want to happen to them versus what they're being told is the acceptable uh, the acceptable choice the mimetic choice what the group is going for so we're fighting advertising we're fighting these uh, you know, we're, we're fighting a kind of memoir of advertising mm-hmm. versus uh non corporate uh humanity, it's a very interesting moment in history.
0: So, what what Kings North actually gets to in this, you know, mm-hmm. what are we doing fighting the internet is as as is a as, scasis, as asceticism of, of different mm-hmm. different sorts, and he has he has one. Well, he's doing the raw and the cooked from anthropo- anthropological differentiation between the civilized and the the primitive or the barbaric, and saying, you know, one way is to think about, you know, how do you how do you exist within it? Um, digital minimalism, and I think I think I will tell you what the other one is, and then we can talk about these. But he has, you know, that he's not really that. Um, You sort of get to you get to live in it without being of it, which is fine, but it it's not very uh, developed. But then he has the the raw ascetic, who, um, I guess, simply steps outside of it and and, and no longer participates in it. Um, mm-hmm. What what I think, and I I haven't read him enough in in depth to to know exactly where he's coming from and all of this, but for my own study of monasticism and asceticism, I'm I'm already worried. <laughs> I mean, he starts by saying he was at Mount Athos and horrified that you know the monks were pulling out their iPhones and and having their black mirrors already there. Um, mm-hmm. That you know the recognition in the monastic tradition is to a certain extent, as long as we're alive, we're in it. Uh, you know, the, the 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 you know the problem with temptation, the problem that the, the spiritual struggle is going to be lifelong, and you're always training. That it's it's not something you can fix. I I just thought of this right the 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 um, chat room discussions that we see often going on about you know like whether you're baptized or whether you're you know confirmed or whether you're you know Protestant or whether you're Orthodox or you know it's like are you fixed and therefore you're you're set right and of course from the monastic mm. perspective you're never set <laughs> you're always in training and you have your life for this ascetic discipline to to train yourself in. Um I mean, having mm-hmm. said that, there is a monastic idea it's like you you retreat from the world and live in the cloister, but even then you're still in the training you can get out of the the sort of city world and in, into the cloister world, but you're still amidst other human beings you can do it by yourself as a hermit and mm-hmm. you'd think it demons so <laughs> there's there's kind of like no matter what our life is a training our life is a is a is a kind of military um experience as it says in job so you know raw or cooked as an ascetic you're just alive you're 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 in the now and the degree to which we can have an asceticism of the internet or not i mean i think that there Mm -hmm. is there is a you know worry there is it possible to live in this world to be online in this conversation i mean King's North rec acknowledges that he's typing to write this, just publish it on Substack so people can read it and, you know, Mm. on their, on their devices. It's not like he's out of the internet. Um, But then I, you know, it's, as you and I have talked, it's like, it's not that since there was cities, since there was writing, people have ever been out of the technological Mm. uh, environment. And, and, and whether, you know, whether even as human beings that is sensible, I mean, we're not animals, we're human beings. So we make cities, Mm. we make tools we make in this conversation. And then we go back over into the, but this internet tool I mean b- because of the marketing things i mean most of what most i you know it's as we're talking now realizing most of what we're afraid of is being cut off because some advertiser gets mad at us uh you know it's like yes and and the, and the advertisers are running the governments too effectively mm-hmm. i'm not sure what a corporation is uh, i mean we're talking about is a dead thing and it i think it is it's sort of a, it's vampiric right it exists beyond human yes. lifetimes um, yes. yes but which then makes in fact the corporations the problem not the internet <laughs> and, and the corporations are a medieval invention they sort of you know created these business entities back in the middle ages maybe they are vampires <laughs> they're medieval
1: <laughs> they're that old <laughs> they won't die some of them are um yeah, they are. Mm. Um, I mean, this is a this this is a really interesting uh, problem because we have the internet, which really is a very very complicated postal route. I mean, it, it could be looked at like that. What we're sending is really complicated like data but essentially it is letters it's just got sound and visuals with it as well so we're we're basically in multi-sensorial postal route altogether um with people sending various things across this you know the the roads of the internet with all the traffic that goes on and it is appropriately called traffic internet traffic which is a commercial term. Um, How we can deal with it. I'm just thinking of a few things. People are scared to be attacked by the advertisers. They're scared of the public relations power of the advertisers, the facelessness of the advertisers, the fact that they are corporations and you're not battling individuals, you're battling these undead entities which have particular legal properties that uh, flesh and blood human beings don't have. But it's not so terrifying. If I think about it in the sense of how the church operates in an environment which is now dominated by advertising. Because it's very similar to what was going on with the Roman Empire. I remember you posted that thing and it was the Mediterranean and all of the the shipping traffic that was going on during the Roman Empire. And how when the Empire collapsed, the shipping collapsed also so suddenly there was this enormous dive in traffic and an enormous dive in technological capacity i think we're at the stage now where the ships the traffic with digital traffic the advertisers are pushing people to this crisis point where everybody has to decide the limits of What, what they're going to allow advertisers to demand in terms of um, manipulating the, uh, so it's a difficult thing to put into words, manipulating the mimetic desire versus deciding that we're going to follow our traditional cultures and our religions in spite of the advertising and the advertisers pushing us away from that. This is the challenge that we have now because, uh, you know, everybody is talking about communism and socialism and, oh, it's terrible. You know, the, the conversation in Australia has been, oh, well, you all wanted socialism, you got it. We're not living in socialism. We're living in uh a cultural environment where private companies, corporations, have linked up with uh, various government departments and we have public-private partnerships and the corporations are deciding cultural taboos, dogma, um, social attitudes and pushing everybody to think that there is a, a social consensus which doesn't exist. (laughs) One example would be on the the drag queen story hour that everyone has been uh, um, adopting now after it's been in America for a long time. (laughs) The majority of the population here are not in agreement with this. It's a minority thing, uh, a radical minority that uh, want to have these events running. The majority of the population don't want them at all but it's being proposed through corporate advertising that this is now normative when it's not. (coughs) I'm sorry, I'm coughing. (coughs) People are going to have to come to the point where they are recognising that our cultural narrative is separate to the market narrative. I think this is why um the Tucker thing is interesting. He's he's talking about spirituality and yes. that's what's annoying everybody. But but this is a because spiritual he, problem
0: because it's as as we're talking now I'm thinking okay so the other so I had two I had two substacks that I was looking at this morning that started me thinking on this theme tonight. I mean what they're both you know touching on the internet but um this one is the Midwestern Doctor Substack and I've been following him because he mainly talks about the uh, medical situation and he's 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 been done some excellent reporting over the last year or so about all of that. But but today yes. he he came up with Big Pharma's destruction of American journalism <laughs> what the re- recent yep. changes at Fox News say about the country. And so he's meditating specifically on um, what tu- what Carlson said, and then Robert Kennedy Jr.'s response about it, um, saying, you know, he 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 told the truth about how greedy pharma advertisers control TV news content, and he lambasted obsequious <laughs> newscasters for promoting jabs they knew to be lethal and worthless. Um, and so Kennedy is drawing direct attention to the the the, uh, the advertising problem. Um, and at this point gets to what Tucker said in his his speech about the truth telling um yeah, which is worth reading. shall I read it now okay so this is yeah. this is mm-hmm. actually um, fir- first he um the midwestern doctor quotes um r f k jr Who's talking about how people don't trust the media now, um, and 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 this is why this is a problem when you and this is Kennedy, that when the media and you know the corporate captive media and corporate captive government sees other sources of truth, they have to brand those misinformation because they threaten their paradigm, they threaten their orthodoxy, and of course there's a lot of genuine misinformation. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question. So it's like, is there misinformation when you're just trying to get people to buy something that they don't want? (laughs) It's just misinformation. You don't need that. Um, But as we know, a lot of the misinformation is just statements from that, that depart from government orthodoxy. But I think as we're unpacking, this it's like there's, there's advertising orthodoxy and the government is so caught up in the advertising orthodoxy that there's not, I'm not sure what content there is. I mean, the, the med- the medical stuff is is particular it's like in you know the soft drinks and the this and that one of the things that's been lingering in my head as we're talking is actual it takes a lot of advertising to make people buy anything it, it's very interesting it's like you have to yeah. saturate buy cuz most people i mean most advertising works best when it's small target audiences that want that thing right mm-hmm. and then you know they're choosing between different fencing foils right but only fencers are going to want those so there's not there's no yes. point in advertising those more generally. Whereas what you advertise for the population at large is drinks and cars, <laughs> and yeah. not even clothes or anything, right? Maybe you know sports clothes, but the, you have to get a real sort of lowest common denominator to get out at the level of most people even seeing the advertising. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So I think there's there's a there's a problem in that level too, right? Um, Okay, but as we know, blah, blah so they have to either censor us or they have to lie about what's true and what's not true and that amplifies the polarization it amplifies the hatred, the fear the insecurity because you know you're being lied to and you're being silenced censorship doesn't work from any point of view though and it's very, very dangerous so that's Kennedy's version on things and of course he's been very concerned about the medical situation and the vaccines Um, and uh, that, but that's within this advertising context of wanting people to continue to take these substances. So your, your main, your mm-hmm. main argument is you need this, right? What you were saying, is like, you know, what, I don't remember what your example was, but you know, do you have, do you have bad breath? Like, do I, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're suddenly <laughs> yeah, yeah. worried about something you didn't even know was something to worry about. Do you have yeah. feet fungus? Right. Okay. So let's, now consider what Tucker said in his recent speech. And this is the the truth telling one. It's like if you just start telling the truth and we usually have it at this giant abstract level. Although Tucker was talking about how, you know, I used to think that it, you know, we were in this um, you know, parliamentary style democracy where you debate the the spending of the tax money, right? You, you have different proposals yes. and you debate about that and that's what government's about. And of course, that's not what it feels like it's about now. It's, it's something different. And so telling the truth, as he says, turns into this thing that, um, I would say two things that I think we're thinking about. The first is you look around and you see so many people break under the strain under the downward pressure of whatever this is that we're going through And you look with disdain and sadness as you see people you know become quizlings. You see them reveal as cowards, and you see them going along with a new, new thing, which is clearly a poisonous thing, a silly thing, saying things they don't believe because they want to keep their jobs. If there's a single person in this room who hasn't seen through that George Floyd and COVID and the Ukraine war, raise your hand. He's at the Heritage Foundation in this one. Oh, nobody? Right. You all know what I'm talking about. The herd instinct is a very strong impulse. And you're so disappointed in people. You are. And you realize that the herd instinct is maybe the strongest instinct. I mean, it may be stronger than the hunger and sex instincts, actually. The instinct, which is, again, is inherent to be like everybody else and not to be cast out of the group, not to be shunned. That's a very strong impulse Mm -hmm. in all of us from birth, and it takes over, unfortunately, in moments like this. And it's harnessed, in fact, by bad people in moments like this to produce uniformity. And you see people going along with this and you lose respect for them. And that certainly happened to me at scale over the past three years. I'm not mad at people, I'm just sad, I'm disappointed. How could you go along with this? You know it's not true, but you're saying it anyway.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And then we had the picture of the one guy not giving the the Roman salute in in the crowd that is it's like the the herd instinct the the you know you were talking about the mimetic rivalry and the the twinning and the mimesis right the imitation i'm not it it feels terrifying as we've talked about and you know like um not to be cast out of the group not to be shunned but it's it's often over very simple and silly things like to get a certain haircut Mm -hmm you know to 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 wear a certain kind of shoes under certain social circumstances to you know have a car that doesn't stand out in the in the traffic something you know all of these things we we, we the reason the mass marketing works is because we do <clears throat> blend for the most part
1: yes yes we we does we tend to homogenize over time very quickly right. um which ironically, it's like saying,
0: this, this is what I was thinking when we were talking earlier about the fear that people have of, oh, you know, you could get a big audience and they'd all go with you. And it's like, I mean, curiously, on yes. the one hand, it's really easy to do. And on the other hand, it's really, really difficult to get that many people to mm-hmm. pay attention to you.
1: <clears throat> I apologize. I got something. Like in the <laughs> you throat.
0: You've got, um, you need more uh water
1: and less dust. Sounds like you're in a- I've got it. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was driving in the middle of nowhere. I've got another bottle. Um, so this is probably the thing, you know, the, the, the thing you're experiencing too with the, you know, Oh, you've got this platform and there, there, there's, there's no recognition of the work that went into getting you <laughs> where you are. But, um, it's an interesting thing that the platform itself, whoever holds the mic, whoever's got the you know the the whoever's got the ring, whoever's got the microphone there's an assumption that anybody that's going to get it is going to use it in order to stir this mimetic rivalry and then build up a homogeneity of behavior and opinion and try to encourage um, an acceleration of it. This is, I think, why your profession is so profoundly important. And also why Tucker Carlson's profession is so profoundly important. And people like, yay, artists. Artists are profoundly important because we need people who are able to wield Attention and to not want to monopolize the attention in order to accelerate homogeneity of thought, Mm. which is very, very rare. At the same time, people that are willing to have a microphone in front of them and risk the rage of the mob while they're holding it. Which is a, a rare uh, trait. Also, the the mass of people in any given situation are not going to hold the microphone and say something directly into it that is going to pivot the the aggression of that mass of people. Mm. You know, most people are not going to go on stage and deliberately infuriate the audience. They want to be loved by the audience. Right. They want to be um yeah they want to be uh, adored by it so this is the danger but we we're we're losing sense of particular professions and responsibilities of those professions and what they're actually supposed to be doing for everybody which is to break the homogeneity to prevent people from uh completely losing an ability to resist uh the the mass formation you know um well okay so
0: it's interesting you're saying that and just as you're thinking about it's like why why is it a bad thing to 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 to, um it's i think in fact in most situations uh, those of us who are cassandras or you know artists or you know the odd ones that are not mostly wanting to be part of the herd I mean, it does seem like throughout history we have evidence of people being that. But on the other hand, for the most part, human society depends on the herd. Depends on their being being yes. a group. And the the sort of concept of worrying about the mass in these terms only comes into being with the media that makes it possible. <laughs> right. That only mm-hmm. that only it's only in the nineteenth century that you start having people worrying about it in precisely these terms. It's obviously with that with the media that create a sensation of there being such a thing as the mass. And, and that's why with like Mill, we have, you know, John Stuart Mill and, and the death of Millian liberalism. But the, the thing that Mill was actually worried about in, um, on Liberty was the individual being overwhelmed by the mass that there wasn't that, you know, mm-hmm. and he was also quite scathing about saying these, that the mass, the, 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 the mass population is simply <clears throat> defined by its own mediocre, guys writing in newspapers (laughs) so in mills terms like the newspaper journalism created the mediocrity of the mass opinion Mm. and it needed the you know the liberal eccentrics to be able to stand up against all of them so i mean it's interesting he also projects that there is this the individual used to exist in the middle ages and you could have true heroism and you know accomplishment things like that in the middle ages but not now not in the mass society so that goes back to it's like to what degree is what we're experiencing a creature of our media environment which people are worried mm-hmm. about whether or not it's demonic or whether it's simply you know too many minds con- connecting together through all of these roots or is it something you know sort of the human problem of being able to stand out against all the rest of the other human beings and saying ah oh, let's go this way <laughs> instead mm. of that way
1: <laughs> yeah um yeah <laughs> being the only one that doesn't want to follow the pied piper um well we have a lot of stories about it being
0: bad but on the other hand you know people working in concert together build cathedrals too it's like, we have mm. a vision together, let's build this, this beautiful building. We have a vision together, let's, you know, it, 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 I, I, I always say this, it's like when people, you know, bang on about how cities are horrible, I'm like, yeah, and they're also our greatest, you know, accomplishments as human beings, because we, we can live in them somehow, um, you know, that people can actually, mm. well, cities also eat eat children as it were it's like that they they tend to be less fertile than the countryside and so people send the younger people come to be in the middle ages they often shut up in the towns to be servants um yeah right so i'm not the thing is i'm not i'm not sure the mass Mm -hmm. of as such is bad is the problem it's just those of us who want to say Mm -hmm. something that the the mass doesn't like and we don't even know why the mass doesn't like it and that's the fear, right? That's the fear that AOC has yes. of Tucker Carlson that he might say something that creates this new mass that she wants to have. Mm-hmm. You know, she wants the mass to to be in, in 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 um you know agreement with her, and 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 she's worried that he'll make a mass that's in agreement with him.
1: Yeah, it's a. <laughs> Uh, I've I've been watching this documentary, so it's popping in my head, so I I think I need to to mention it. But I've been been watching a little documentary about the the court of Versailles Mm. just before the French Revolution and what was going on with Marie Antoinette and her husband Louis Uh, and how her behaviour was spun so she was subject to this public relations disaster <laughs> a big
0: one <laughs> a big yeah. one
1: but probably one of the biggest <laughs> but um you know not not being conscious of how to wield the opinion of the mass and not being conscious of how she needed to present herself as a as a monarch right and manage this part of her responsibility. And her mother is writing her all of these letters from Austria saying, you know, you foolish idiot, I'm getting all of these reports back that you're just spending all of your money on shoes and hair, hair and and jewellery and you you have no concept of what anyone's saying about you at all. <laughs> so it keeps getting worse. And, you know, you, you kind of have to feel sorry for it at one stage. It's, it, <laughs> so. Being born into the position where she has to push against uh, the media machine as it existed at the at the time, all of a sudden people in France and around Europe start creating these engraving propaganda pictures that they're circulating all over the place. And it's pornographic. They're depicting her, you know, bare-chested and in all of these different uh, compromising positions with different people. So trying to promote this idea that she's a sexual libertine and um, <clears throat> she's up to a lot of things that she's not necessarily doing. Because she doesn't answer it, it gets worse and worse hmm. and worse and worse. So there's this is corrosive reputational destruction because as the monarch, Her morality and her virtue is the morality and virtue of France. So eventually the French just see her as completely out of control and wretched. And then, of course, what happens happens. I think it's this fear that once... Enough reputational damage is done once everybody's been defamed to a degree. Once the mass has a, its opinion formed of somebody, mm. it can never be undone, and everybody's terrified of it, uh, because it's a you know it's the character assassination problem.
0: I think this is this is definitely no. I th- I'm glad you brought this up because I was also <laughs> thinking about this when. You were watching an actual documentary. I was watching Bridgerton, <laughs> and rec- mm-hmm. you know, that's contemporary because it's well a little later, but Queen Charlotte in England, and this mm-hmm. this sense of I mean, literally they're doing nothing. Well, I mean, I guess the men are there to be at Parliament in in the in the in the tone, but you know, for the rest of it, the it's the women wanting to get married and and make good matches for their daughters and things like that, and that. One you know mistaken conversation could ruin your reputation and you'd never recover. I mean I think Bridgerton does play yes. that fairly nicely and say, and this and realizing that this internet world feels like that very much right this this tiny little court yes. where i mean Tucker is trying to talk about things that are actually like real issues, but it won't the video that he just put out this this evening saying nobody's talking about real issues, right? It's all questions that nobody actually is going to care about in five years. It's mm-hmm. mostly this kind of yep. social negotiation for who's been seen with yeah. who and who therefore is part of the tone and who yes. isn't part of the tone and it has literally zero to do with any decisions that are being made because all, you know, all the decisions are being made at at a, at a bureaucratic level that is impervious to any of the, the actual discussion. Mm.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it, it is like court. Um, it's like being at court and, and having a permanently damaged reputation. People talk, people use this as the cliche, that word character assassination, mm. but in the internet world, it really is an assassination. Yeah. You're out. The internet is forever. So it's called, and it's this really odd reconstruction of the Hindu caste system at the same time, which is something that I've noticed a long, hmm. a, a long time ago. You're born into the caste system in India. You can't change your caste. The assumption is that the caste that you're in is a deserved status. So because you've got the reincarnation, you've done something, you're born into this particular caste. At no point during your lifetime are you able to buy your way into a higher caste or buy your way out of the the caste that you're in. You can't earn it through valour. You know, you can't ascend in any way. You can, however, go down. (laughs) You can can go down. The internet is creating this really strange digital Brahmanism Mm. and mixed in, you know, mixed in with the court dynamics of of reputational assassination and and making sure that everybody is keeping up appearances and seeming to maintain the appropriate etiquette that we're supposed to while ignoring actual problems uh, altogether. And everybody who wants to play along with it, gets put into an untouchable caste. Mm. And everyone's terrified of going into the untouchable caste. Nobody wants to be there. So they continue to do it. It's a... Uh, our, our culture is now being dictated by... Uh, a desire to avoid being put into an untouchable caste. but We have this is a completely different kind of class system than existed before, because your class can change very rapidly in this mm-hmm. environment. It's not guaranteed.
0: Well, in that for you're a landowner, it, it's like the court. It's like the court. So it's like your your status can change because the queen looked at you funny, and if she decides she doesn't like you, mm. nobody does. Right? It 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 has. You know, zero to do with any other features that you have or care. You know, it's literally just whether or not the queen of the court decided that you were her diamond in the Bridgerton setup, which I found very. It's
1: like when you,
0: the queen declares someone to her diamond for the the year, and and therefore she's going to be the one courted. It's like no, she's going to be one hated by everybody. <laughs> Don't you get this right? Yeah, but it's, 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 yeah. it's, nobody likes the favorite. <laughs> it's not even, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's the social, the true social death, right? It's like, what would you do? You, you, the, you only exist to be in that tone. Therefore, it's not like you can go do anything else because your only existence is in that conversation. And that obviously is, I definitely see that yes. we see that on, you know, all of the little subsets of the, the internet population that you know st- so and so's talking to so and so so and so was seen with so and so so and so showed up on sh- uh, other so and so's you know live stream and therefore cannot be seen with this one it has nothing to do with the content of what people are saying no. except for you know the you can test whether or not you belong to the tone by whether you're willing to to talk certain topics in a particular way but that's all, i those change all the time because they have no solidity they're just social markers which we've we have obviously lots of time talking about but the the feeling of the dynamic it, it makes a lot of sense if it's just a if just if it's a court culture which we could say that is a human you know that has been the feature of human history all along it's like there's there's an inner group of very very wealthy connected people that then worry about each other and everybody else starves
1: Mm. Yeah, (laughs) so that is what happens, but we're in post Christian culture now, so at the same time, everybody's expected to behave as though they're Christians, as though they have Christian some kind of Christian morality, Mm. and this is very challenging because, uh, to hold, I had a conversation with a woman recently about this. Actually, mm. uh, yeah, and you've probably heard this too. When people claim that they have, oh no, I'm not. I don't. Uh, I'm not a believer, but I have the same values. So, it's the uh, the reduction of faith to values, which are you know. I mean, it, it's not the same thing. It's like reducing the religion to branding. It's like saying, "Oh, we have the same shoes." Right, but it's you know? even—it's not even—it's—it's it's
0: social agreement. <clears throat> I have the same values. I agree with you socially. Yes.
1: Right. Whereas, yes, for now, faith—I mean, faith—faith <laughs> faith
0: is that problem, that thing that
1: you could do, and you can disagree with everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got the we've got the the crisis happening now because if you say, oh no, we've got the same values, the values actually are that most people are uh, constructing right at this moment in the internet Armageddon that we're all living through are mostly influenced by advertisers and by mimetic pressure of marketplaces and corporations. A corporation is bequeathing most of the values now that people are agreeing to play along with, even if they actually don't agree with them whatsoever, in private find them quite distasteful or uh, immoral. Out of fear of the attention of the mass being turned towards them, you know, that terrifying... uh, uh, the revolt of the, the 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 audience and the the faceless mass but everybody's relying on post-christian values no one's actually relying on faith so there's no baseline whatsoever people are not sharing any uh, consensus on reality so even if we're playing court politics we're doing it in a very strange way this I, I'm kind of rambling around but it's court politics in post-christian, Western culture, which has the residue of Christian charity without the reality of it, and then values which are residually Christian and more and more influenced by corporate advertisers. It's very dangerous.
0: Well, I think the residually Christian means that that there's a sort of performative social expectation of certain kinds of gestures, Mm -hmm. but it's it's unanchored. From actual, I mean, and faith. We're going to have to talk about faith properly at, at some point, but mm-hmm. in this in this context, saying it's it's, you know, sort of basically the thing that enables you to stand against the herd when it's all going that way. <laughs> Um, which is yeah. ironic because people, you know, in, in in vilifying faith tend to describe it as that thing that makes you go along with the herd. It's like, um, in, in fact, you know, Christ's yeah. teaching means you're often having to not be there <laughs> with the herd and yep. saying, uh, no. Yeah. Um, so I think this, so advertising works to create a social um, desire. That you be you look like everybody else because that's the point, right? You want to yes. sell a lot of these things so that everybody is the same because the more of those yes. you can get, and that 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 feeds on the, I mean, herd instinct, but it feeds on the desire for social inclusion. And we'd say without without Christ's teaching about how you stand up against that kind of social inclusion, the the group has no. I, I what you're describing the group has no. Uh, Resistance.
1: mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no, there's no true north. Right. They don't have the 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 lodestar to uh, reorientate in chaos of competing um, social pressures. Right. So
0: which the advertising have- you know exists both to I mean you get brand loyalty so people you know, consistently buy your product at, at a base yeah. level but then you know it the quote competition which the market always wants to get rid of um is mm-hmm. designed to have to trigger competitive desires in order to get people interested in having the things. And and what's funny about it is like a lot of the stuff, most of the stuff that we buy, I mean, most of the stuff, I, I mean, okay, I'm already unusual in one way because I buy a lot of books. Right. But most, <coughs> most of the stuff we buy, isn't necessarily things we've seen advertised. It's a small subset of the stuff that people attach to yeah. the, our luxury performance objects. I mean, most, most of the things we're buying, I don't know. I I don't think advertising has as much effect as the advertisers wish it could, but it's enough Mm. to create a culture of that kind of um, diversion of attention. And then that's what everybody's always saying. Maybe that's just the advertisers are so anxious about the diversion of attention. It feeds into everybody else's concerns. So everybody constantly is worried Mm. about not being paid attention to. And it's not even real mm. Mm. I don't know. I think the court the feeling of the court paying attention to you is very, very powerful, and it's it's hard to resist
1: there's the two, but yeah, we've got well, it's the it's two problems wanting the court to pay attention to you, and also avoiding the rage of uh, an angry mob. So there's two, two sides to the anxiety. And maybe that a lot of people don't understand the consequences of abandoning truth telling for Uh, this court conformity, uh, memetic conformity, because it's not always going to be a dangerous thing to conform with everybody else and to not say anything.
0: Right. Most of the time it's being polite Uh, and not interrupting whatever's going on. (laughs) It's just being well-behaved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then there are instances where breaking that, Uh, tranquility, that social tranquility is necessary to prevent something truly horrible from happening Right. but it's possible that a lot of people have not had moments where they're faced with this this kind of choice Um, and if they have whether or not they feel satisfied that they made the right decision if they've made the wrong decision, there's a lot of shame associated with it also. Mm. So finding out finding out someone you knew made a choice to maintain the social facade and sacrifice truth for their to maintain their own reputation is one thing having an entire auditorium of people find out that that uh, somebody's done this is a different experience altogether and on the technology that we're using now on the internet i mean everything gets leaked screenshots emails phone calls recordings photographs videos everything A lack of heroism, a lack of ability to be able to say, no, I'm going to potentially trash my own reputation in order to defend the truth can come out later. Uh, there's a lot of, a, uh, you know, people, people are delaying a lot of things all the time, as we've seen on Telegram delaying cutting off associations with particular people that they should cut off with just to maintain reputation, to maintain status, to maintain influence, which is power. Public perception. Everyone's managing their own personal branding in this internet world of public relations on the internet. So it's sort of speeding up the mechanism because it's so fast. And then we all get the... Uh, we we all get the experience eventually. Will I tell the truth or will, will I allow uh, the reputational uh, pressure to dictate what I'm doing right now? Right. It's similar to this movie. It's I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's um it's called The Box. It was based on a Twilight Zone episode. Hmm. And uh, it's a fantastic film. I would recommend watching it. It's really good. It's very creepy. So the premise of the movie is that there is a couple – And I think he's working for NASA too. So there's some things in there, but, um, they're having some financial trouble. And, uh, you know, the, the, the couple is happily married, but they're a little bit stressed and everything anyway. So they get this strange arrival at the doorstep one day. It's a guy with the deformed face who comes to the door and he has this box and goes inside and says to the couple, uh, I have a proposition for you. And They say, well, okay, what is it? And he says, uh, I'm going to give you a box. There's a button in it. If you push the button, you'll get a million dollars. And someone you don't know will die. They're horrified. And they're saying, you know, this is a horrible troll. And he said, oh, no, you know, I can guarantee that it's not. it's not a game. It's real. So if you want that million dollars, all you do is have to push the button and then someone you don't know will die. So they go through this whole thing. Right. That box moment is the internet. <clears throat> Who's put, who pushed the button? All of us at one stage have pushed it. Someone may not have died, but we've all made the decision at one point in our lives to get personal benefit at someone's detriment by not telling the truth in a particular situation. Mm. How many people have consistently refused the button? How many people have consistently refused to push the button? So those moments, I think, are the ones that everyone's terrified of having revealed. This is why, like, AOC doesn't want Tucker Carlson to have his own right. room because then everyone digs around and after a while you find out, oh, that was the moment that you pushed the button. Let's see what you did. You know, let's see what you overlooked in order to maintain your facade, your social facade and your reputation. Let's see what you overlooked in order to maintain your status in this strange digital court that we're all living Mm -hmm. in and it's very terrifying it's very terrifying because it's so quick and for all of us i think we're living in this knowledge that it's so quick and it can happen at any moment
0: well it's immediately happening to carlson because of the dominion suit so they're going through all of the discovery they get to go through all of his texts and and things like that and find out that he said things about you know Trump and stuff like that and yes yeah, so the, the 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 scandal level of revelation is obviously terrifying yes. to everyone because i mean even to the level of you know i was a bit silly in oh maybe a lot very silly in this conversation <laughs> and if it's it's projected up yeah. in this serious Situation, nobody ever laughs, right? Because you, the joke is never part of the, the courtroom yes. or the the boardroom meeting or something like that. You just like that was a joke. Why are you so mad at me? And it it that stripping of context. Yes.
1: Yeah, humor humor uh, it's it's a humorless analysis, yes. and so all the pathos is taken away. The feeling, the emotion, the tone. The humor, the intention, everything is read uh, in a completely black and white way, and then that changes the interpretation, changes the perception, changes the way people are um, are seeing you. So, yeah, it's quite it's it's a uh, Again, taking away that human element from whatever has been going on and pushing it into a kind of vacuum where emotion doesn't exist and where uh, things are read in an administrative and bureaucratic way, you know, human interaction becoming corporatized. Uh, And so things that we're doing, things that we're saying, things are being translated from what I would call human into like a- corporate bureaucratic kind of language and a mode of behavior uh and we get judged by that standard instead of judged by the human standard
0: well in in the in the mcLuhan media terms like the the digital is that literally digital mm-hmm. zero one zero one zero one mm-hmm. so there's
1: So how do you train, you know, how do you train to exist in, in ones and zeros mm-hmm. where everything is going to be judged in this corporate bureaucratic mode, divorced from the incarnate human life? Yeah, uh, I, I, and that's probably part of the, the panic you know the panic that tucker carlson said we need to we need to be human and we need to tell the truth uh but that's that's class that's clashing with the technology it's clashing with people's real experience of what the technology is doing to them everyone's had a fight on facebook at one stage that made everybody angry and caused family rift right <laughs> right yeah, no, everyone's done. I don't done. know, I mean, I
0: I think Facebook died, right? In that sense that I I remember mm. I remember when you know, we were first on it 2008 or so and you know, you ended up in these somebody's wrong on the internet and you have to answer and and, and sort of <laughs> carry on and I so I I do wonder I mean, King's North saying we need the the asceticism of it. Eventually, we are get I maybe we're getting better at it. I do feel like even five, mm-hmm. I mean, five years ago, we were still in Trump, and it was there was sort of a boisterousness to everything. It doesn't feel like there is that anymore. It does feel like
1: mm-hmm.
0: the fun is gone, um, which could be good. It, it means it's like, well, but go back out into the world and drive around in golf carts instead of being on television. Uh, mm-hmm. It could mean that we're learning better how to discipline ourselves in this environment which is, is a kind of, so is a civilizational thing. It's like you learn how to live in the city. You can't live in the city in quite mm. the same way you live in the country. And so you ad- adapt to the mores of the internet. It it will be sad if, if if what turns out that the internet is actually a very boring place and who wants to be here. Yes. Um,
1: I think that's what's happening though. I think that's what's happening. It just, uh, it's becoming a uh, one giant mega bureaucracy mm. and I mean the issue is people are not going to get out to leave it because we need the technology now the effect of existing in a mega bureaucracy online uh transforms the culture into a mega bureaucratic culture there's a weird feedback loop there. right so, I don't know, I <clears throat> I don't know if uh, asceticism is necessarily the solution, just to n- not engage with it and not use it, uh, it just doesn't seem practical. I don't, I don't, well, I he, had, he had he had two options: the
0: the the cooked, which the civilized, and the raw. And that's I don't know, Levy Strauss. It's from Levy Strauss's Raw and the Cooked, and I'm not sure what the metaphor means. Okay. But he was saying, you know, like there may, may be different modes of asceticism in this, mm. and and there's certainly you know within the Christian tradition there are different modes of asceticism, whether you're Benedictine and living in the cloister out of the world or Franciscan or Dominican and you know living as a mendicant but within the city and that that was one of the, you know the Franciscans and the Dominicans were one of the epiphenomenon of the cities in the high middle ages that the monasteries don't seem to answer the spiritual questions that the cities were creating when the Franciscans mm. and the Dominicans come out so you know it's like we could what what kind of spiritual discipline will enable us to live in this new city format as the franciscans and the dominicans enabled europeans to live through the your urbanization of europe mm. right so we have i mean we have a hopeful way of thinking about all this that we're going to and our draco alchemicus figure out a way to solve it <laughs> we promise we're going to, we're, 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 you know, it's like we may be sailing around in the mosaic car kind of lost right now, but we have a plan, which is put it in poetry and tell a story and figure out the myth that way, uh, which we haven't figured out yet. We're just, you know, we know that's the direction the plot has to go because that is the question. How do we live in this new environment? um. Mm -hmm. Well so I found the I but the other passage I read I thought that was is this one and then I realized there were two different passages of Carlson that were actually helpful. So the one is the herd instinct one which was helpful. But then the other one is what he said about telling the truth. Um and everybody likes this passage this is Midwestern doctor citing it again but Carlson recognizing that truth telling also has a positive feedback loop. And once you say one true thing and stick with it, lot all kinds of other true things occur to you. The truth is contagious. Which could be why the the liars are so worried, right? It's like the more you tell the truth, the more it spreads too. Lying is, but the truth is as well. And the second you decide to tell the truth about something, you're filled with this. I don't want to get it supernatural on you, but you're filled with this power from somewhere else. This is where he got spiritual, right? Saying truth-telling, yeah. right? Try it. Tell the truth about something. You feel it every day. The more you tell the truth, the stronger you become. That's completely real. It's measurable in the way you feel. And of course, the opposite is also true. The more you lie, the weaker and more terrified you become. We all know that feeling. You lie about something, and all of a sudden, you're a prisoner of that lie. You're diminished by it. You're weak and afraid. Drug and alcohol use is the same way. It makes you weak and afraid but you look around and you see these people and some of them really have paid a heavy price for telling the truth. And they're cast out of their groups, whatever those groups are, but they do it anyway. And I look at on mm-hmm. at those people with the deepest possible admiration. I'm paid to do that. I face no penalty. Well, well, <laughs> um, someone came up to me and said, you're so brave. Really? I'm a talk show host. It's like I give them any opinion I want. That's my job. That's why they pay me. Not anymore, but (laughs) this is hilarious. I mean, he did this on Friday, right? And he was like, "Not anymore." But okay, it's not brave to tell the truth on a cable news show. I think we can acknowledge maybe Mr. Carlson. It is now. It is. (laughs) If you're not doing that, you're really an idiot. You're really craven. You're lying on television. Why would you do that? You're literally making a living to say what you think, and you can't even do that. Please. Okay. Hey, we have a super chat, Thorn. The Arctic cables was great gravy. I never thought about that regarding the current bank war. Oh well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad we're bringing news too. <laughs> In the midst of the mythological meditations, um, I mean, I think you know, I I am admiring. Um, I it's funny. was he Carlson or Tucker or Tucker? Carl, anyway, I'm admiring Mr. <laughs> Carlson um, for the cheer with which he's been facing the the past three days. Um, two days. And hope that I you know we can continue to be cheerful in our in our truth telling, but he is right i mean it's it's interesting if people people worry about telling the truth and what you were just describing a bit ago saying, "Um now I forgot exactly you get worried about saying anything because the group won't go along with it, but on the other hand, it is true, maybe not the first time, maybe not the second time, but if it you do get stronger the more times you don't let the fear of the, the, the group prevent you from telling the truth because you're telling the truth. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then people do start listening a little bit more. And I do think he's right. It eventually becomes contagious. My, my opening sort of frustration was, it's like, why is it, why, but there is also a a lag, right? It's not like you just tell the truth and suddenly everybody, whoops, (laughs) I've, I've, I've blown my my tech here. Um, it's not like you tell the truth and suddenly everybody agrees with you. It's not that contagious. Um, it's, no. it's it 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 has more slow burn <laughs> over the time. Mm. But um, the more lies you tell, the more you you're having to worry about that button pushing that you were saying. You know that somebody's going to push the button and it's all going to be exposed and then you lose everything. That doesn't that mm-hmm. does that kind of thing doesn't seem to happen if you tell the truth.
1: No, no. Um, yeah, the. I think once once it once it's happening, uh, you know, in my experience of this too. Is initially you get pushback, and then after the the first blow of enormous pressure from you know having said what you've said or done what you've done, in in order to counter a false narrative. Afterwards, things are actually not as bad as you were expecting they were going to be. Uh, the response is immediate. But it doesn't linger for as long as people think it, it, it does. Um, because you're setting your own mechanism in motion then, you know, the truth is its own mechanism that starts to work to correct the things that are hidden or ignored or, you know, uh, which is what you were saying, it's kind of a slow burn. Eventually, it influ- the truth as a mechanism, influences people because it starts to undo falsehoods and things that are based on falsehoods. Right. So, you know, like opening Pandora's box, you open all these horrible things up. In this case, you're not necessarily opening a, a box and releasing plagues on people. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the opposite. It's like releasing a self. For, for things which are festering and the you know a lot of uh a lot of social pathologies and things that people are ignoring and medicating with the various products that they're buying in order to ignore everything. So uh
0: yes that's a good medicinal image to yeah. to to go yeah. to We will be healed by the brazen serpent. (laughs) That's where looking on the dragon. The snakes stop biting after a while.
1: Yeah. (sighs) But it's painful in the beginning. It's painful in the beginning. Uh, And I think a lot of it is uh, managing, you know, I've had it had a very good conversation with uh, somebody recently, you know, managing our own ego and ability to abandon a need to, for our own public relations management, you know, um, because we all want to be seen in the best light possible. That's just human. No one, no one volunteers to be seen in the worst light possible. Abandoning that need to manage your own social image in order for the truth mechanism to work is the main battle, because uh, yeah, it, it it doesn't work. If we're, we're we're either serving our own reputations or we're serving the truth.
0: So. That's. Beautifully put. And of course there is, there, we do have one who has done that voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Which is why we call him Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that the, the taking on all of the shame and the suffering is what Jesus did. And that's, mm-hmm. it's like the truth that he carries is what you've just described. We're able to stand up against, and they say like advertising is all public relations. We're trying, to, we're mm-hmm. trying to stand up against the great public relations machine that tells us if you allow mm-hmm. yourself to be shamed and despised, it's all over. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, which uh, interestingly, you know, you you wonder—is that yet another advertising campaign? Is it real? Well, <laughs> uh, Dorothy Sayers did call her
0: novel "Murder Must Advertise" <laughs> because life affirms itself. How's that for an end? <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> I'm glad you found your way back, my dear. I see you're in a new location. This is your your, I new, your new your new streaming location that we will see you in next time. Yes, you're not yes. going to run away from yes. me again, right? We've, we've recovered no, the pigeon. No. We've recovered her from her journeyings around. I, I hear you went to the ocean. Did you go to the seaside? I, I, did. The I did. I
1: <laughs> I I ran away to the sea. Uh, I was staying in a little gypsy caravan, which was really lovely, and then uh, driving through national parks mm. and things. So I got lost on the way home. That's and her excuse. Finally made my way back. She <laughs> went out to contemplate <laughs>
0: the beauty of creation.
1: Ha, ha. Yes. <laughs> the offline world, the offline world. Uh, if there is such a thing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> We will
0: find out in in our quest to be continued, yes? So Casey concludes with, maybe the snakes don't stop biting. We just become immune to the venom. Well. To be continued. Thanks for joining Mm -hmm. us.